never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that enjoyed John Carpenter's The Thing. We enjoyed Marvel's Man-Thing. We enjoyed DC's Swamp Thing. And one day, we'll get to see someone make the movie titled That Thing. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. <laughs> I'm here. What's up? <laughs> Isn't it weird that no one's made that movie yet? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just hoping they get the O'Neaters to do the soundtrack is all I'm thinking. So. Oh, yeah, 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 right? <laughs> all right, well, hey, man, this has been... First off, for me, this has been a monster busy week in my schedule. This has been a crazy busy week in terms of news. Like, there is so much stuff to discuss. Um, DC, they dropped a megaton of information on us, which we knew was coming fast and furious. And yeah. not only that, but now we're in that part where we get to speculate, wait for casting rumors and all that stuff. So we're going to dissect that a little bit. And there's a whole bunch of more stuff. So I don't want to waste any time, but how was your week? <laughs> uh, busy. Busy okay. and uh, cold. <laughs> busy and cold. All right. <laughs> yeah. It's like the coldest week uh, of the year so far in the Midwest. Me, so, yeah, it's pretty crazy. For me, it's been amazing because I've gotten to be on the ski slopes a little bit. So Nice. Uh, and that's where I've been like, can we just have winter, please, so I can go skiing? <laughs> right on. No, I, I totally agree. I love uh, I love the winter months, especially. Like, I work remotely now, so it's just I don't even have to deal with the traffic and all that. So I just love I love it. Um, I've got a husky. I've mentioned that before. So I yeah. love walking my dog in the winter and stuff. And, uh you know, the cold weather, I don't think it's that bad as long as you dress appropriately. Like, if you bundle up and you wear the appropriate stuff, I don't think the cold's that bad. I think a lot of people who complain about the cold just underdress, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> we could do a whole episode on that. Um, <laughs> believe me. Um, I did have – I was working at the ski hill – the quick aside story, and I know I don't want to waste time, but quick aside story, I was working at the ski hill, and someone asked if they could rent snow pants. My response to the question was, would you want to rent snow pants? <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, if you got, like, a cheap pair of Walmart snow pants, like, what does that set you back, like, 30 or 40 bucks, I'm assuming? So, like... How much is the rental going to be? Like 15, 20 bucks? You might as well just buy them, is kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, but would you want to wear someone else's pants? That's true. Like somebody, yeah, somebody's like sweat and like snowboard yep. funk is all up in there. And yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yep. Anyway, um, let's jump right in, man. Um, what I had, basically, the only thing I had a chance to watch this week was Last of Us. Um, so I will give you my thoughts. Did you have anything extra that you went through? 
Yes. Yeah, so um, besides, oh, I did watch. Sorry, I did watch. Oh, no. I'm caught up on Vox Machina. Other than that, so sweet. Um, yeah, I was gonna say besides perusing uh, Snowpants prices online, um, I did get a chance to watch a couple of things. Since you since you mentioned it, I'll just jump into it. Um, I started watching Vox Machina. Um, like I said, it's been a busy week for me, so I've only had the time to watch the first three episodes. Okay. But when you talk about a premiere set of episodes, like Amazon dropped those first three right in a row. Yep. Oh, man, like, I'm hooked. And I actually was watching it uh, this evening, like, before the show, like, when I was eating my dinner, and I was just like... Man, that's a really sucky place to drop off because it leaves you with like a tragic ending. Um, I'm really digging the adventure, uh, this time around. I think the whole like their pursuit of, um, all these like magic weapons essentially they're trying to, uh, yeah, put best, together. The vestiges. Yes, yes. That's, uh, since you mentioned that the hardest part of the show for me is, remembering names and locations and stuff. So it is a little bit hard to talk about because it is very specific fantasy lore and, uh, not having listened to this campaign on the, uh, critical role podcast. I'm, it's a little bit hard to, uh, know the names of things like readily, but something I'm working on, but I think that whole plot line is leading for a really, I think it's going to be a really, really fun set of various uh, dungeon-crawling expeditions we're going to see the team go on. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, And then, like, the other thing that I'll say, because I know we're trying to keep our reviews not too expansive right now, but some of the scenes with... uh, so you have the uh, basically, like, these dragons that overtook the... uh, Is it... um, Amon, is that the kingdom that they kind of like yeah, took they're, over? They're, they're, the city of Amon. Yeah. Um, the dragons represent the Chroma Conclave. Awesome. So, this set of dragons, some of the scenes where they're just kind of doing their dark overlord thing while they're like talking about how they're ransacking this, um, you know, this countryside and stuff, some of those scenes that are just the dialogue between the dragons are so well delivered when it comes to voice acting and music and animation like some of those scenes are so powerful because I remember watching those and I was getting vibes of like just really dark fantasy movies and like some of them were like I don't know if I want to use the term like chill inducing but I was really getting into some of those scenes so I think this this season from what I've seen just seems to be stepping everything up a notch and uh, it's awesome Excellent. Um, I'm glad yeah. you're liking what you've watched. Since you haven't watched any further, all I'm going to say is with the next, because they dropped the original three, and then the following week they dropped three more. So once, so you technically have six to watch. Um, yeah. The, uh, I don't want to go too far into it because I'm ahead of you, because I don't yeah. want to spoil anything for you, but um, I'm loving it. So I can't wait for Friday when I can watch the next three. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, what else you got? Yeah, so besides that, um, I'm somebody who likes to uh, stay hip and relevant and uh, up to date with uh, really current TV series. And that's why I went back and uh, me and my wife were rewatching the MTV uh, series uh, Teen Wolf, <laughs> the Teen Wolf TV series that came out probably 10 years ago or more. Yeah, but you're, um, you're boning up for the movie that's coming, right? <laughs> 
That's actually exactly it. So this is oh, a really? series okay. that <laughs> this is a series that I watched a long time ago. I haven't watched the whole thing, but I watched the first three or four seasons, like back when it was airing. And uh, this is a series that it's an MTV show. It's aimed at teenagers. It's a remake of a '80s, you know, teen comedy. You know, Teen Wolf. Like it's the show that or the movie that we all know and love, but. On paper, this sounds like this would be the dumbest TV series ever. The thing, though, is I love this show. Like, it is so good, and it's kind of fun to revisit because I just can't believe how much, like, in suspense I am with watching this show. And basically what they did is they took Teen Wolf and they turned it into, like, a sort of CW-level, like, teenage horror series. Mm -hmm. And, uh... I don't want to go super in-depth, but it's just super fun. Um, it's really over-the-top. It's really comic booky and kind of the best way. Like, there's certain aspects of the show that really give me Spider-Man vibes because you're de- dealing with this teenage character who becomes a werewolf and uh, some of the abilities he gets and sort of his uh, how his social status rises from that and uh, certain altercations he comes into in school. Like, you get the vibes of, like, Spider-Man fighting Flash Thompson in the hallway and stuff like that. And that's something I really love about this series, too. But my main takeaway so far, because I've only watched, like, I'm re-watching it, so we're only about four or five episodes in. But my main takeaway is this is, like I said, really campy, really over-the-top, ridiculous series really bad CGI and stuff like that, but I can't believe how in suspense I am with watching this show, and it's kind of cool wait, for wait, me. Rewatching the show. Yes, but that's <laughs> kind of that's kind of the thing is like it's cool for me because it's kind of stood the test of time in a really weird way. Oh, okay. And I feel like it's an unexpected diamond in the rough, and I feel like more people need to watch this show, basically. So if you're, like, somebody who's into, I'd say things like Riverdale or uh, the CW, like, Arrowverse or, um, you know, teen comedies or teen horror mm-hmm. movies, I think everybody should check this out. It's a really, really good time. So, right. uh, yeah. Right. Cool. And then, um, otherwise, I watched Last of Us. So okay. um, I don't know if you're ready to just hop into that. Well, yeah, we totally can because it'll segue nicely into news. Uh, so the episode, uh, this is we got to meet Bill and Frank. Um, yes. If you know the game, you know who Bill and Frank are. If you don't, if you're watching <laughs> the show, we got to meet them. Um, this episode was just gorgeous from beginning yeah. to end. It was such a beautiful, beautiful episode. Um, obviously, we start out with Joel and Ellie and... I I really like the idea, and you forget sometimes that she was born after the world went to shit. Yeah. And so when she's like, when she sees the airplane and she's completely blown away by it, or when she gets in the car and he's like, is this your first time in a car? And she's like, yeah, it's like being in a spaceship. And she's just pushing buttons and everything. Um, it was ama- It's amazing. So there's these moments that are just really awesome, and they couldn't have casted it better. Um but then when you get to Joel, I'm sorry, not Joel, when you get to uh, Bill and Frank, that story, um, to, to do a quick departure from everything, to tell that touching of a love story, yeah, really cool, but it was such a beautiful, beautiful love story. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, I was taking notes on 
like right when uh, the town gets cleared out and uh, Bill starts oh, walking yeah. everything down, you just start. You t- <laughs> you're, I'm just taking like whip out the pad of paper and take some doomsday prep notes. It was just, it was such a beautiful episode, and I can't wait for more. And that's really all I got on this episode. I really don't know what else to say about it. You know, so <laughs> the uh, the note taking was an was a really good touch. Um, as you're saying, like you are getting to kind of see um, this one character's zombie survival plan. And that was just so fun to watch through and live vicariously through it. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, I would ransack the Home Depot as well. And you get to, like, see the sort of security system he set up. And uh, that was just so, so much fun. Um, I think I was actually uh, talking to some coworkers about this. And uh, one of my coworkers said this uh, the best because uh, she was talking about how before she watched this episode, she heard that that this episode is considered like the best episode of the series so far. Like everybody's saying it's really amazing and stuff. And she went into it ex- expecting something really gory, really action packed, something really suspenseful. And uh, she said by the end of the episode, she was in tears because of yeah. instead of all that, she ended up getting this really beautiful, tragic love story. And uh, it's, it was amazing, and uh, it's just it's just a really good piece of television. It's really hard to know what to say, but I I do think this is like I don't know. Do the Emmys give out awards for specific episodes? Because I they feel do. like this is an Emmy winning episode. We just watched. They do. You know, um, have, the way the the way those work is they'll have a directing episode, which will be specific. yeah. They'll be like achievement in directing four, and then they'll have the they'll, the episode will be singled out. They will have a uh, screenwriting four, and then the episode can be singled out. Um, and I believe, like, for example, if Nick Offerman is only in that episode for the entirety of the show, um, he could get he could get technically nominated for an Emmy for just that episode because if if he's if that's the only episode he did, you know, yeah, so absolutely, yeah. Um, so yeah, just wonderful. I can't wait for Sunday to watch the next episode. Um, but like I said, it segues into news really well and we have a ton of news. So if you're okay, moving on, let's just do it. Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. So like I said, the segue, uh, last of us has been renewed for a season two. No big surprise there. That's (laughs) really, that's really the the segue. (laughs) Like no big surprise. Last of us gets a, gets a, um, Gets that. Um, yeah. Let's see here. This is all. All right. I'm trying to try and get the quick hits done because there's two giant pieces of news. Okay. Uh, quick hit. Um, Anya Taylor Joy, star of the Queen's Gambit. This I thought was interesting. Tweeted Queen's Gambit two, and then five minutes later deleted the tweet. Okay. I don't know what that means, but if we're getting another a second season, awesome. I can't wait. I love Queen's Gambit. It's so good. <laughs> um, it's it's one of those things that it's like, how do you follow that up with a second yep. season? Um, are they going to ruin it with a second season? <laughs> At the same sure. time, I've seen second seasons for things that I didn't think would work, and they end up working. Right. But then at the same time, I'm also saying, did she accidentally tweet that and then realize she couldn't and then deleted it or did she tweet it and then delete it on purpose 
as yeah. a weird sort of conspiratorial viral marketing scam. Sure. <laughs> and either way, it's awesome. Yes. <laughs> so, Agreed. That's my thoughts. <laughs> All right. Um, like I said, there's some quick hit ones. Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are set for another Bad Boys movie. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so um, we'll see if Will Smith slaps Martin Lawrence in the movie. Zing. Um, <laughs> That'd be pretty good. Is this going to be uh, Michael Bay directed as it well? It doesn't say. It just says yeah. they're set to go again, and you're just like, okay. <laughs> nice. Um, all right. Um, Roku and Tubi are going to be the home of all the removed content from HBO Max. Um, so, like, they cut Westworld. Westworld got removed from HBO Max. I'm not really sure why. I really don't. But it got removed. So if you want to watch it, it's going to be on Roku for free. So anything that they remove from HBO Max is going to be on Roku and Tubi. Um, which I thought was kind of cool only because... It'll be free to watch for anyone who wants to watch some of those shows. So, um, I, I think, I think that's, yeah, I think that's awesome. I don't watch a lot of the Roku channel, but Tubi, I've plugged it before. I'll plug it again. It's one of my favorite streaming services, which sounds crazy because it's, it's free. You'd think it would suck, but there's so much good content on there and there's so much obscure indie stuff. And it's one of those things like, you want to watch a weird indie B horror movie that anybody that nobody's ever heard of? You can find that. Uh, sometimes I go onto Tubi and I just search comic books, and there's like 50 comic book documentaries that come up. Come up, and it's like something that if I search comic book on Netflix, I don't have that much option. So Tubi has a lot of cool stuff. I love that streaming yes. service. Yeah. <laughs> In conclusion, <laughs> um. Quick departure away from movies and stuff for a minute. Um, E3 is going to be back um, this year in Los Angeles, like it usually is this coming June. Nice. But, but PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo will not be attending. All right. I don't know what else is going to be there. Like, I feel like that's the whole point of E3 is you go see the big three. <laughs> I don't, honestly, I have no clue. Um, yeah, they're probably going to be trying to get, like, uh, you know, Activision or, you know, just, like, the big name game yeah. developers to make presentations. But, I mean, what did E3 skip? They skipped 2022. Is that correct? Um, They skipped. Like well, Xbox skipped twenty twenty two, and I think PlayStation I, skipped twenty twenty. I thought they, I thought they canceled E three one of the last few years. Yeah, there was like and two years in a row they canceled, and then, um, I, I think but everyone I, did their own press conferences basically. Well, I think that's what it is: is E three cancels itself. Everybody's forced to do their own press conference, and then E three comes back, and they're just everybody else is like, well, we don't really need you anymore. So I don't know. Interesting. We'll see how it shakes yep. out. Yep. Um, all right. Tomb Raider film in the works for with Amazon. Oh, I did hear about this. Uh, yeah, so film and TV series. Um, so they're basically melding a Tomb Raider franchise over at Amazon. That could be cool. Um, I, I'd love for them to get Alicia Vandiker back um, because she kind of, she was set to go, and then the other movie fell through, and then I think she was released from her contract. But I thought she was awesome in the last Tomb Raider movie, 
And that Tomb Raider movie really followed the current look of the game. Oh, yeah. Um, so if they're able to expound on that, great. If it's got to be a whole new thing, that's fine, too. But I think that's something worth exploring. So that could be mm-hmm. cool. Um, yeah, yeah, I love that movie, too. I kind of want them to keep that story going, but I feel like this is going to be a reboot, unfortunately. But yeah. it is what it is. <laughs> um, okay. Showtime and Paramount are merging their streaming services. Um, I don't know what that means in terms of it's going to have, like, a whole new name, but in the world of yeah. the streaming wars, Paramount Plus and Showtime are going to be merging into one giant mega platform. What's awesome. nice about the streaming wars, which we've talked several, a lot about in terms of, like, who's buying who and what companies own what companies, it's kind of nice to look at this and see um, – that our streaming is getting got really, really broad and it's getting tapered down. So it's like I need Disney, yes. I need HBO, I need whatever this new thing is. Amazon I get by default because I'm an Amazon customer. And then I need Netflix. You know what I mean? It's not here's eight more than I need on top of what I just listed. So Yeah, um, absolutely. Um Avatar Way of Water surpasses the box office, surpasses Force Awakens at the box office. The Way of Water has become the fourth biggest movie of all time after nabbing uh, the slot away from Star Wars. Wow. So Avatar Way of Water is up there now again. <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm pretty impressed because I feel like the Avatar Way of the Water hype has died down a little bit, but I am impressed sure. that uh, it is sec- setting records like that. So, yeah. All right. I have a quick update. We're literally out to the big stories. So yeah. Quick update for you on the Dungeons and Dragons uh, a game license. Yes. Um, so um, D- from D&D Beyond, which is kind of like Wizards of the Coast purchased D&D Beyond a while back, and that's kind of become their main platform for uh, speaking to the fans. Over the past few weeks, the community... Um, have made your voice heard. Today we are announcing that the OGL will remain untouched and the entire SRD is available under a Creative Commons license. So when you are, um, so it's untouched, we are also making the entire SRD available. Um, you choose which you prefer to use. So that means the creators, the legal documents in terms of what they use for publishing are choosing what they're following in terms of the SRD or the OGL. Um, that's huge. This is almost like a, uh, the community wins situation. Um, yeah. so, um, yeah. And it's not, the dust hasn't officially settled, but if you go into D and D beyond right now, they have a thing called the OGL playlist playtest. Um, and what they did was they released some legal jargon, some documents and stuff for everyone to peruse and then they released a survey that you could take based on those legal documents to see how everyone felt. Now, I think mm-hmm. we all knew how everyone felt, but ultimately, this is a huge win for the community. Right? Um, yeah. So there's probably some more that will kind of filter out as things go. Um, the next iteration of Dungeons & Dragons, this 1D&D is what they're calling it, um, is supposed to release in 2024. Um, and it's, I don't know if it's, I don't know if you want to call it a new edition because they keep saying that it's specifically meant for all of the current books 
the fifth edition books to be backwards compatible with the new oh, stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, so if you spent the money on the novel, the the source material and stuff like I have, all those books will be uh, usable. So ultimately, right now, I need to buy a new player's handbook and maybe a new monster manual. But ultimately, I could just buy the new player's handbook and then all my books are backwards compatible with the new thing, which is great because their idea was Absolutely. fifth edition is great. We want to expound and fix a couple things that we think needs to be tweaked, but ultimately, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, they like how the game is functioning right now, which is awesome. So, we'll see in 2024 how it shakes loose. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, my my big question about this because Drew, I feel like you're a lot more on the pulse of uh, the D and D community than I am. Uh, this new development with the OGL. Um, situation. Do you think that, like, obviously you said this is a win for the community, but do you feel that this is going to inspire everybody to stay loyal to Dungeons and Dragons? Because throughout this whole situation online, what I've mostly been seeing is people talking about leaving Dungeons and Dragons and starting to use other role-playing games from it. Like, they're like, I'm done with Wizards of the Coast. I'm going to be searching you know, other, I'm going to be seeking out other games to play. And so what's your thoughts on that? Do you think that if I had to make a prediction, what I think what would, what I think is going to happen is, is people like some people have their, they're not in a good place, like mentally. Okay. It put a bad taste in their mouth. Yes. And they're going to venture away a little bit. I really do think people are going to venture away a little bit. Yeah. Here's where they're not going to venture away. Um, if you go on to D&D Beyond, there are a whole bunch of forums that people can go and discuss and talk. So the sites are going to get used, right? The yeah. source material, the way Dungeon Masters build their campaigns, like you can borrow from a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. And you can tweak things to make things fit for you. There's rules in place to how it all works, whether you're playing Pathfinder or D&D or whether you're looking at, you know, like, depending on where you're looking at. But I think you're going to see a variety of different games come out, which is going to, uh, game systems, which will broaden the gaming community. The more variety, the better. But what I think is going to happen is that in 2024, when one D&D or whatever, it, I think that's a working title. I don't know if that's actually what they're calling it. But when the next iteration of Dungeons & Dragons drops, I think what's going to happen is, is people are going to pick up the new book because they're going to want to see, and then everyone's going to kind of embrace it again for a little while. Um, I, okay, I think you're right. That makes You know sense. what I mean? Where what I think is going to happen is, is you're going to go, I'm done, I'm going to boycott, I'm not going to be a part of this. And then what's going to happen is, is your friends are going to start buying the books and they're going to start playing and you're going to go, well, crap, I want to play, but I got to keep up. So I'm going to have to buy the next book. And then, you know, what's going to happen is everyone's going to buy the player's handbook, regardless of what they say, because they all, they're all going to be curious. They're all going to want to know, and they're all going to want to check it out. And ultimately that's the goal is they want people to buy the material. Um, and you know, when you look at it, do I need, to jump on the bandwagon? No, but as everyone slowly ports over, I will need to jump on the bandwagon. Think about when 5th edition launched and the 4th edition guys were like, I'm not going to play, you know, I'm sticking with 4th edition. And then slowly everyone started jumping on a 5th edition and then everyone kind of had to follow suit and everyone's on 5th edition now. Um, Pathfinder was built off of 
um, the OGL with uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, 3.5. So, like, technically Pathfinder was behind the time, but that's where Pathfinder came up. People didn't like 4th edition, so they made a whole new game based off of 3.5. So what I think is going to happen is people are going to make some new games, the new stuff's going to come out, and people are still going to check it out, and it's going to be this broadened thing. We don't want... It's like we don't want a monopoly, but it's 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 like Marvel and DC, and then your indie comics. We still mm-hmm. gravitate back to Marvel and DC, even though we love going and reading indie stuff. We're going to go back to the big ones every now and then and check it out and buy the new stuff. Yeah. So I think that's what's going to happen here. Um. The thing about this is I have, like, my park district stuff that I do, uh, the games I run with the kids. We're running 5th edition. We're in the middle of a campaign. I am not going to change that on them all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, of course, yeah. I have an adult game, which I absolutely cherish, and if any of my adult players are listening, for me it's become a very sacred thing, and I look forward to it every single time. I'm one week out from my next session, and I cannot wait to get back to the table. The, we are, we are eight months in. Ooh, my computer didn't find a virus. If you heard that little bling in the <laughs> speaker. Um, <laughs> Every time I hear a noise like that, I just feel like the uh, recording just like got deleted or something. So oh, there's no, like, yeah, no, I have I, a mini panic attack. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta cancel that notification. Anyway, um, my adult game that I play, we are eight months into this ongoing thing. And I don't want to say how far we are into what my dungeon master brain has built for them because I don't want them to know how far they got to the end of the story. But I am not going to all of a sudden be like, by the way, we're playing Pathfinder rules right now. We're going to continue. <laughs> we're going to continue with fifth edition because we're right. going to continue with fifth edition. So um, that's just my two cents on how that's going to play out. So. No, that that absolutely makes sense. Um, I think that's I just kind of wanted to touch base on that because um, I have enjoyed a D&D. I've played a number of different times in the past, but I just don't play currently. And I don't think I'm as current with how the current D&D community feels. So I wanted to ask about that. But I think you're right that people are branching off because of this whole OGL situation. But sure. the thing is, they're going to release this new one D&D version of the game. And kind of like you were saying, it's D&D for a reason. Dungeons and Dragons is the household name for a reason. And people, I'm sure, will come back to it. So, uh, yeah, very interesting stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, we talked about Vox Machina earlier. Yeah. Um, this, is the, this is a huge piece of news. I got really, really excited about this. Um, Amazon... Um, Laura Bailey, who plays, um, from Critical Role, who plays Vexalia on Vox Machina, um, she went on K2LA in the morning and did an interview. It was a really, really cool interview just talking about the show, the inception, the conception of the show, where they came from, all that stuff. And then they talked a little bit about voice acting, but she was talking about season two. And she said, yes, this is season two. We're really excited. And then she said, we've already been greenlit for season three. Awesome. So we're getting a season three. And then the announce, and then she said, if you're watching your social media, announcements will be made soon. So I like kind of eyes peeled to the social media. Amazon announces a Mighty Nine series and overall critical role deal. So what this means 
is if you watch Critical Role, they've done they're in their third campaign in terms of the game. The first campaign focuses on the characters of the adventuring party Vox Machina. Campaign two was all new characters, and the name of the adventuring party was the Mighty Nine. So we are getting a Vox Machina season three, and that's continuing on. And we are now getting a Mighty Nine animated series for Amazon. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, it is awesome. And if they get there, which I hope they do, um, campaign three, the adventuring party are called, they call themselves Bell's Hells. So I hope we get that. <laughs> I hope we get that too, because there is some character stuff in there that's just absolutely amazing and brilliant. And I would love to see it. Um, anyway, uh, so they're getting the animated series for the Mighty Nine and, um, they are also entered a multi-year exclusive overall television and first look film deal, which makes me think that there'll be movies coming as well. So sweet, right? So maybe there's a movie to close out Vox Machina, or there'll be like a movie to like join forces with them or anything like that. That's just it's just awesome. I can't wait. Um, oh, I love is, it. Yeah, I love this. There That's is awesome. a trailer for Mighty Nine. It doesn't show any footage. It's basically some lines of dialogue and voices, and then they show the title, but the imagery is all showing the table and the dice and some things. So, <laughs> you know, if you've, if you've been watching Critical Role like I have, you're just like, it kind of gives you the chills, like, oh, this is amazing. That's awesome. So what I love about this story is, so you have Amazon Prime, or, yeah, Amazon Prime, which uh, has released, you know, it released... Um, Rings of Power to mixed reviews. It released uh, Wheel of Time to mixed reviews. And uh, the one fantasy series that they're doing right is this, you know, animated series, Vox Machina. And I'm so glad that they're con- they're keeping it going and that they're expounding off of that. And we have this Mighty Nine series coming. It's so cool. And I feel like it's just I just I love Vox Machina so far. So I just want more of it. So this is this is great, you know. Yeah, um, I agree. I can't wait for more. I like I said, I can't wait for Friday to watch the next episodes. I can't wait for the Mighty Nine show. That'll be great. Can't wait for season three. Um, usually, when we get done, so an episode of Critical Role, an episode of the actual show, the live play show, is roughly three to four hours in length. Yeah, it is not conducive for me to sit and watch it in one sitting. Um, my what I usually do, and that's not because I don't want to. It's because I don't physically have the time to do that. Yeah. So what I usually do is when I'm getting ready for bed, I climb in the bed, turn on the TV, and watch Critical Role till I start getting drowsy, and then I turn it off. So I usually watch like an hour at a time. Like Monday night, I'll watch an hour. Tuesday night, I'll watch an hour, and so okay. on. So when the next episode drops, I'm done and caught up. Every now and then I will sit there and I'll be like a Saturday morning, nothing's going on. I was like, oh, I'll watch an hour of Critical Role before I start moving and doing stuff. And then two hours later, I'm like, oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> um, so you don't just doom scroll through Twitter till you're too depressed and then just fall asleep every night. No, I don't. I, <laughs> okay. I, 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 I use my brain. No. <laughs> I use my brain and I listen and I watch some Critical Role. It's like it's honestly like watching an audiobook. Yeah, um, and it's great because the because the the players yes they're playing and laughing and having a time but they're still acting out their roles and they stay in character and you know sometimes you get to the combat and it's interesting to watch the combat stuff but sometimes it's just straight role play and you get legit stories and everything it's awesome so 
Yeah. Nice. Um, okay. You ready for the big news? You ready to talk some DC? Because James yes. just dropped a megaton <laughs> of information on us. Yeah. All right. So first off, I want to say that in the world of things coming, I say this is all good news, whether you like the news or not, whether you're going to be the guy on the Internet complaining about Henry Cavill or Gal Gadot or whatever. Look, don't do what the Internet does and complain about the negative. Look at this going. DC has a plan. They've announced their plan. And for once, we know what it is. And it's great. And it's a multi-year thing. And I, I'm so excited for what this is going to be. Okay? Yeah. So, here we go. We are doing, um, James Gunn has released a bunch of information on top of all these announcements. So there's a lot here to unpack. We're going to go through it, and then over the next handful of weeks, as casting information, as speculation comes out, as they drop more nuggets, it'll be great um, to discuss. Um, I don't know if you saw, but James Gunn took to Twitter, and he put on Twitter... Uh, Superman, trunks or no trunks? Oh, which, I wish I, I didn't see that, but I would have liked the comment. Which was really funny, and, the, and it was basically <laughs> like a, a Twitter poll, and the internet went crazy over it, and James Gunn eventually had to say, look, we're not letting Twitter decide this, I just thought it'd be fun. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, so you being this bigger Superman fan than me, do you say trunks or no trunks? I have a controversial opinion on this, especially right. probably within the Superman community, but I right. go no trunks. Um, right, I think that, I think that growing up, one of the hard selling points of superheroes to my friends was always people saying, well, I just think it looks dumb that people wear underwear outside of their pants. Like that was the biggest criticism, like all through the nineties and like, you know, I was like, yeah, but it's still, you're still reading cool, badass stories about people with superpowers, you know, come sure. on. But I think when, uh, like the new 52 in DC came out and as well as like, especially Man of Steel came out, I started to appreciate the approach of the Superman costume as more of a alien Kryptonian thing than a man-made earthly thing. And I do feel that Underwear, or sorry, not underwear, but trunks outside of the costume feels very earthly, where I feel like what we got in Man of Steel is a lot more alien, and that's what really drew me to that style of suit. That being said, I think the vast majority of online comic book fans prefer Superman with trunks. At least that's the vibe I get from reading forums and Twitter comments and random discussions, and so... I feel like we're probably going to get Superman in trunks, but with all what I've said, my favorite Superman comics are the stuff from the early 90s, stuff like The Death of Superman, um, Reign of the Superman, like that sort of early 90s Superman era is just freaking awesome, like great artwork, awesome stories, and uh, throughout all those comics, he had trunks. So I'm down either way, but I do prefer the trunkless Superman costume. So there right. you go. <laughs> right. Well, let's break this down. So the first part of this is called The Universe Reset. Okay? This is the movies we have coming this year. We have four movies coming. We have Shazam! Fury of the Gods. We have The Flash, which James Gunn has stated in an interview that is it is most likely the greatest deep superhero film ever made, or one of the most great the greatest superhero films ever made. Right. 
really nice to hear for a guy that has worked heavily with Marvel and coming over to the DC side of things. Um, following that is Blue Beetle, which we already knew was coming, and Aquaman 2, um, which, you know, where, however that plays out. Um, it's a really nice lineup there to consider what they're calling the, the universe reset. He said that yeah. the Flash film is ultimately a legit reset of the universe, which segues everyone into nicely with the new plan. Which absolutely makes sense for a Flashpoint-based yep. film, so no surprises yep. there. Okay. Now, I'm going to, before I lay out the new plan, we're going to talk about a couple things. There are movies we know are coming, like the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, um, the next Batman film, um, those things, right? He said in the video that this is these are going to take place outside of continuity. Yes. They're going to be called DC Elseworlds. Yes. If you know your DC history, that is a very important thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's a very important term, and in, in in comics terms, you had your basic continuity, and then you had what was called DC's Elseworlds. And ultimately what Elseworlds was is it's um, it was all these side things that just, hey, I got a cool story, I want to tell it, boom, it didn't exist in continuity. Well, yeah. what happened was is that so many of these side stories happened that to clean up the to clean up the slate and help everyone understand, they did this thing called Crisis on Infinite Earths so they could clean it all up and get back to one continuity again. If they're calling this Elseworlds, I honestly think we're getting a, we're, we're going to be building towards Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I will, um, and I will uh, expound on that point as we move forward. So, Elseworld specifically includes the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, the Batman, Joker 2, the Batman Part 2, which is that's what it's actually going to be titled is Bat, the Batman Part 2, and it's going to be in theaters October 2025. The Teen Titans Go animated series is considered part of Elseworlds, <laughs> awesome. and, and Superman and Lois from the CW is considered nice. Elseworlds. Um, Superman and Lois officially has two seasons left, and it's done, apparently. Um, so that's cool. Okay. Nice. Um, now, what else do we got? All right. Uh, here we go. Here is the big slate. Ready for it? It is. This is Chapter 1. Now, Marvel had these things called... Um, they had the thing called uh, phases. So we were Phase 1, Phase 2, and so on and so on. So Marvel had their phase one, which was, you know, Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, whatever, and then Avengers, and then the next phase. This is phase, this is chapter one for DC. It is going to be titled Gods and Monsters. That's the name of the chapter. Mm-hmm. It's going to start with an animated series called Creature Commandos. That's going to be the first thing. It's an animated series for um, HBO Max, um, which, I mean, the the imagery they showed in the video looks cool, sounds good. Looks Looks very James Gunn. <laughs> looks very James Gunn. Yeah. All right, I get it. Um, the next is also going to be a television series called Waller. Uh, Waller will is specifically referencing Amanda Waller, who's played by Viola Davis from the Suicide Squad movies. She will be reprising her role, and they will be teaming up with Pete, the team Peacemaker 
to deal with some related things in the world of DC Universe. Um, this sounds great. It sounds awesome. I do know that Peacemaker 2 is still in production, but the fact that Waller 2 is, um, Peacemaker Season 2 is still in production, Waller 2, um, or Waller will be teaming up with that. Okay. I, th- I thought this was interesting because I, w- I wondered if Amanda Waller had the draw just as a character herself as opposed to being like a, uh, you know, makeshift makeshift villain in a story or something like that. So it'll well, be interesting how it plays out. Uh, it does sound interesting. It's just it caught me off guard that she would get her own series. You know what I mean? Uh, it did a little bit to me, but I really enjoyed. I really, really like Amanda Waller as a character. And if you yeah, watch, absolutely. And if you watch Justice League Unlimited, which they said it was being removed from HBO Max, but it's still there. So if you look at if you go and watch Justice League Unlimited, um, and you watch a man like just when they get to the Amanda Waller stuff and Project Cadmus and stuff, it's awesome. Like it's mm-hmm. so good. And then you watch some other stuff. Um, a really good Amanda Waller one is uh, Batman Assault on Arkham, that animated film. It should be on HBO Max. That's a really great Amanda Waller thing. Um, if you can watch it before it leaves, Peter, I've told you to watch it several times. I doubt you have, but Justice League Unlimited. The episode is called Epilogue. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The Epilogue, it is, it's, it's, in my opinion, probably the greatest episode of that series ever. Um, Awesome. Okay. Anyway, moving on. The first film in the Gods and Monsters. So Creature Commandos is an animated series. Waller will be a live action series on HBO Max. The first movie in Chapter 1 to hit theaters is a movie called Superman Legacy. Yep. Um, This looks fantastic. It has me excited. They specifically said they're going with younger actors. Superman, according to all reports, Superman is said to be about 25 years old in this. Whether you agree or not agree, here's the thing. Henry Cavill was probably the best Superman at the wrong time. Um, because they're clearly casting younger, so these guys can play their characters over and over and over again and be them for a long time. James Gunn specific, he specifically said in the video that, Peter, you still there? Pete, you there? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay, sorry, I heard a beep and I thought maybe I lost you. Um, James Gunn specifically said in the video that the characters who play the characters in the movies or television series, will also play the characters, so vice versa. So if Superman appears in one of the shows, he will be Superman in the show, he will be Superman in the animated stuff, he will be Superman in the video games, and moving forward, so on. Which is huge. And that goes for all the actors in the that are signed on. So Superman Legacy. Now, we're going to move after Superman Legacy to Lanterns. This is going to be a television series on HBO Max, this is going to be a, I, I want to say it's like a buddy cop Green Lantern series that follows Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart dealing with the cosmic nonsense. And if you watch the video, James Gunn says that they are going to discover something out there that is going to relay back to the big picture of the DC universe as it unfolds. So, awesome. Yeah, that's um, great. Then, after Lanterns, the next movie is going to hit the theaters. It is called The Authority. The Authority 
is a team of superheroes based off the Wildstorm characters that DC acquired when they bought Wildstorm comics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot to unpack there in terms of who the characters are, what their powers are and everything, and it's not, it's not, um, household name stuff yet. So, you might want to look at it. Peter and I could probably do a breakdown, but we just have so much to discuss. I didn't want to really go into who the authority was. But well, it's, really- it's James Gunn doing what he does best, which is plucking out these obscure characters mm-hmm. and teams and then making them awesome on the big screen. So that yeah. is exciting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, totally with you on that. Um, okay, the next thing will be a television series on HBO Max called Paradise Lost. This is going to be a Game of Thrones-style show that's going to take place on Themyscira following the Amazons and the people um, and Wonder Woman and her, uh, the Amazons. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that could be really cool to see more of that and see how that plays out. We might get some more uh, stuff with the gods like Ares and everything. You know, you get like just speculation. You get Wonder Girl. You get Donna Troy. You get like, there's some cool stuff that could come out of this. So let's see what happens with that. Um, the next one is the one I'm really excited about, and that's uh, The Brave and the Bold. That's what it's going to be titled. This is um, this will be a film in theaters. It's going to be the next Batman film that will be a part of the major continuity. Yes, we're getting The Batman Part 2, which will be the Robert Pattinson one. This is going to be a new thing. Um, yes. The Brave and the Bold. This is going to be the story of Batman. So Bruce Wayne Batman dealing with his biological son, Damian Wayne, who is, if you read DC Comics, is the current Robin. Um, mm-hmm. This is going to be really excited because it's directly based on uh, Grant Morrison's run of Batman. Um, and this, is, this has me really excited because we're going to see... It's not going to be Dick Grayson Robin. This is going to be a different Robin than people are, than most the average go yeah. knows. Um, he's a little snotty assassin, and Batman <laughs> has to take him under his wings and kind of teach him his way of things. I think, I think this is really cool because I'm glad you mentioned Dick Grayson because it's one of those things like how many times do we have to see Dick Grayson's uh, origin on screen? And like, I think it's about time we've had Damien like a live action vert version of him to uh enjoy and uh it's also like when you have like the uh dark knight movies and how like raza ghoul is like a household name at this point i feel like there's a lot of really cool you know damian wayne's origin story is really cool and i think people are really going to glom onto that when it comes so yeah yeah um all right i yeah and i I, (laughs) that what's what's interesting is i never in my in my wildest dreams that I ever expect Talia al Ghul would be on the big screen. And then Christopher right. Nolan put Talia al Ghul on the big screen. Um, Damien's mother, and if you're listening to this, you're like, Bruce Wayne had a son with who? Talia al Ghul. Um, the fact that they're going to have to touch on that in some way. There's no way you can do it without explaining that. So we're going to get to see Talia again on screen. And I think it could, I mean, it could all be done in flashback, but we might be getting, we might get more of that, which will be really sweet. Um, yeah. The next is a television series follow as called Booster Gold. Um, I could have almost called it that we were going to get a Booster Gold something out of this whole thing. 
Um, Booster Gold is a ex-football player from the future who is washed out and not good at being a football player and decides that he should go back in time with his future knowledge of the future and try and be a superhero because he knows things about the future. And he is not a good superhero, so that could lead for some quality uh, comedy, if you will. <laughs> Absolutely. And this series will be starring Christopher Pratt. <laughs> Just kidding. We don't know that for sure, but that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's a funny... Uh, a funny and possible uh, prediction to make. So. Yeah, right. Um, the next one on the list is Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Yeah. This has me really excited, specifically because it's based off of Tom King's run of Supergirl. And um, it was a really, really good run. It was a really good read. Um, so I'm really excited to see how this gets adapted. But what I like about this slate of stuff is they're telling us we're basing, hey, this movie's based off of this run. This movie's yep. based off of that run. They're telling us where they're getting it. Marvel doesn't do that. They say we're doing Captain America Winter Soldier. Well, we know it's Ed Brubaker who set that up, but they're not telling us that. They're just like, this is the title. Or, we, or hey, it's Captain America Civil War. Cool. Okay. So that was written by Mark Millar. Great. Well, the movie and the, tele- and the book don't really line up as the same. Mm-hmm. They're telling us that they're basing things directly off of certain runs, and they're calling out the creators and acknowledging them. I think it's beautiful that they're doing that. So uh, Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, I look forward to. Um, this, And then the one final piece to the big puzzle is, and this has me super excited, Swamp Thing. Um, right, yeah. Swamp Thing, um, at currently, um, Joe Mang... Um, sorry, um... Why am I Joe Mangold? Yeah, who directed the Yeah, book? yeah. Yeah, he is currently in talks to direct Swamp Thing or be involved. I didn't realize that, but that's awesome. But it is awesome. Um, James Gunn said that some of these are going to be um, rated R, and some of them are going to be PG-13. There's going to be a little bit of every, 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 some, a little bit of stuff for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, so that's the that's the slate. It's huge. Absolutely. Thoughts? <laughs> there is a ton to unpack there, but of course I have some thoughts. So, first of all, you, you touched briefly on it, but uh, just to get it a little bit more out of the way, you could hear all this news and really focus on the fact that we're not getting Henry Cavill, we're not getting Gal Gadot, we're not getting... Certain well, characters or aspects. Getting, I don't know if we're not getting Gal Gadot. Fair enough. I guess I was. I mentioned that because that is a complaint that I've seen. Um, I've seen people make. So I, I, I thought I'd throw that out there. But the thing is, like, you have. I don't know. To me, I remember being so pumped for Man of Steel and uh, loving it, and then really loving Batman v Superman, and then it was announced that Zack Snyder was going to do the Justice League and. Uh, when that happened, I was like, okay, this is Zack Snyder's Superman tri- or superhero trilogy. He's going to do Man of Steel, BVS, Justice League, and uh, that's okay. awesome. And it took a lot of time, a lot of patience on our part, but we finally did get that awesome trilogy. And I feel like it is one of the best trilogies of the last few decades. Like, it's so epic. It's so awesome. I feel like... Every director gets, deserves their chance to make an amazing trilogy, and we did get that. And Snyder is not with the DC 
he's not doing Warner Brothers movie or DC movies right now. So like, I'm kind of okay with them moving on to the, to the next thing because to me, as much as I did love the first Wonder Woman movie and I love Aquaman and Shazam and stuff, a lot of this stuff started 10 years ago. Like Man of Steel came out in 2013. It's been 10 years. And like, I understand that they do need to regroup and move on to something new. But my favorite part of all this is they're moving on to something cohesive. They're, everything's connected. It's easy to understand. If something is not connected, it's going to be explicitly labeled Elseworlds. Elseworlds. So that yep. is awesome because then you don't have two big screen jokers and you're not sure yep. who's connected to which movie and you're not sure which Batman is the real Batman. And I, I just love the Elseworlds title. And kind of as an aside, like, some of the best, like, DC stories are Elseworlds stories. Like, when I think Elseworlds, I think of stuff like Superman, Red Sun, which is super heralded, awesome. But, like, I honestly think of, like, some weirder stuff, too. Like, I think of stuff like Batman, Raining Blood, or Crimson Shadows, which yeah. are, like, kind of the Batman versus Dracula story arc where Batman actually becomes I, I a vampire for a while. I doubt we're going to get that one, but I'm with you. But... <laughs> I, I guess I point those out because they're weird and they're they have awesome Kelly Jones artwork in them yeah. and they are um, when I hear Elseworlds like those are some of the first ones I I first stories I think of and that's what makes me go ooh that's exciting and they could go really weird places with Elseworlds but one thing that James Gunn said that made me smile when I was watching his uh, little brief presentation was everything's cohesive. So movies, animation, video games, it's all going to be the same characters going on adventures and it's all going to be cohesive. And a lot of cases you're going to see uh, actors from movies doing the voices in animated films and uh, video games, etc. And this is something that I've wanted from DC for a long time. Like, I always thought it would be cool to see, you know, you see a new Batman movie on the big screen, but then maybe you get the DC direct to video animated movie. And like the idea that both versions of vampire of Batman were going to be the same character. I always thought that would be awesome. And they're finally delivering on that. And it's just, it gives a degree of importance to every single piece of the puzzle. And that's amazing. And I feel like this is, starting to feel like an expansive comic book universe and you might miss a movie here and there and you might skip a video game, but it's all part of this big, this bigger piece of the puzzle that they're giving us. And I think it's, it's really awesome and it's really exciting. And as much as like, as much as I'm going to miss the Snyderverse, um, as that, you know, as we knew it to exist, I think there's so much exciting things to focus on here. So this is something that I had to sit with and come to terms with, but all in all, there's, this is just really awesome news. Um, Drew, you haven't really shared a lot of your personal thoughts on this. You kind of went through all the details. So what, where are you sitting with all that? A lot of my personal thoughts, I think are going to flush out as we go farther and farther. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, they said that, when James Gunn jumped on this and he said, we're mapping stuff out. Once we're ready to tell you, we'll tell you. But Star Wars is going to be our basis of 
inspiration. And I didn't understand what that meant until they said the cohesive thing that you just brought up. Yeah. Star Wars, everything that happens in Star Wars is canon. So I know that I watch episode one, I watch episode two, then I got to watch a Clone Wars cartoon for five, for seven seasons. Then I watch episode <laughs> three. Then I watch a couple episodes of the cartoon again. Then I watch Solo. Then I watch Obi-Wan Kenobi. Then I watch a cartoon called Rebels for five seasons. Then I watch Andor. Then I watch Rogue One. Then You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's, it's the cohesiveness of it, and that's what's amazing. And I know that, like, I'm watching Bad Batch right now, and I'm like, ooh, I can't wait for the next episode. The episode I watch might not have any strike to the bigger picture, but it's Star Wars, and it's in the universe. This is a DC universe where I know that the next thing I watch will be part of the big picture. Yeah. And that's amazing. And um, here's the thing. I'm honestly, the thing I'm most excited for is there's a plan. And it's a yeah. 10, and it's a 10 year plan. And it's the beginning. It's not like it took them 10 years to tell the Infinity Saga on the Marvel side of things. I, I can't wait to see what they're actually telling us. And I look forward to it, and I hope it goes beyond the 10 years. So we're going to keep getting it, and my excitement's just going to grow and grow. The thing I'm most excited for is the Brave and the Bold movie because of what they said it is going to be. Um, and I'm excited to see the Supergirl movie that's coming. Yeah. Um, and the Swamp Thing is probably next on my list. So it's probably those three. Actually, how about this? It's definitely Brave and the Bold. And then it's either Swamp Thing or Supergirl. I don't know what comes next, but I'm so excited to see whatever they turn out for Swamp Thing. So, um, yeah, you're you're right. Um, all of those sound awesome. I think Super. If you're a Superman fan, there's like so much from the Superman family coming out, like the Superman new Superman movie, new Supergirl project. Like that's all awesome. I'm gonna make a prediction. I could be totally wrong, but we have the Brave and the Bold Batman movie. I think we're going to get a light, a more lighthearted Batman than we've seen for years because we're getting to the point where how much darker can you go? (laughs) Like I loved the Batman. Like that was such a great movie, but how much different is that than the previous versions of Batman that we've gotten? And I do think they need to differentiate it a little bit. And I kind of feel like they might go a little bit more lighthearted. I could be wrong, but that's my prediction. So I think that the Batman went darker than they've ever gone. True. And I think what you're going to end up getting is a happy medium of the Dark Knight trilogy to the Michael Keaton stuff. You'll get somewhere right in between. Because Batman still has to be the dark character that he is, and the world he lives in still has to be dark. But I don't think it's going to be as dark. It's going to be, like, right in the middle of Michael Keaton Batman and Christian Bale Batman, and it will not near, and it won't yes. be as dark as the Batman, which is okay. So what, uh, I, what I'm hoping is for, like, the tone of the Tim Burton movies, but the sort of realism and the believability of the Dark Knight movies, I think that'd be a cool balance. Okay. But yeah, that would be that's, cool. This is a bigger discussion than we could go. We could talk a long Look, time about we this. Are now, <laughs> we are now at the fun part. We get to, we get to wait for casting news. We get to speculate. We get to spitball. We get to really discuss and do all the fun stuff as we wait and learn. things. And we get to look forward to the next trailers. So we'll see what right happens. On. 
They did say we got a couple pieces of news, and then we can move on to our list because we're going longer than I expected. But this was huge, <laughs> and we had to discuss. All right. Yeah. So they did say that they are aiming for two movies and two HBO Max series per year. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Okay. Which is that's great because we have four movies for DC this year, and that is literally to become, and that's literally the reset as what they're referring to it. But when you compare it to the fact that we have four DC movies this year and seven Marvel films, that's nuts. Okay. That doesn't even count the Marvel TV that's hitting. So DC is going to shoot for two movies and two series a year. I'm totally down for that. That's great. So. Uh, I think two two a year is just enough to have that scarcity to because to um rearrange a phrase from a very well known superhero movie when everything is super nothing is so I think when you just have like a couple movies a year I think that's a really good balance for it so right. and I agree um here's the sad news in all of this um Titans Doom Patrol when they finish their seasons they're done right um. And Pennyworth has been canceled. Um, James Gunn took to Twitter pretty quick to say those decisions were made before he was in the seat. Yeah, I could see that, too. Which, unfortunately, you go, well, you're in the seat now. You're in the driver's seat. Bring him back. But the way television works, and this is the thing I got to this is the thing I got to explain a little bit, is one of the things I learned before we started doing this podcast, I learned this. Um, I'm a really big fan of the Stargate show, um, from the movie to the show to the other uh, made-for-TV movies they did. I loved all of Stargate. It's great. When the when Stargate Atlantis got canceled, there was a whole big thing about maybe bringing it back for a final season or bringing it back for um, uh, a movie to close everything out. And then there were talks of them doing a movie, like a made-for-TV movie or a straight-to-DVD movie to shut it all down um, that would encompass a, well, a big crossover between Atlantis and SG-1 and kind of put it all back together and kind of close everything out. And we were like, that sounds great. Do it. Or three of them or something. What ended up happening was the announcement that the sets were being taken down is what mm-hmm. sealed the deal that it wasn't happening. So we can speculate all we want for something to come back, but once certain pieces of the production puzzle have to stop functioning, like the sets being taken down or the costumes being packed away or something like that, that's where it starts to fall apart. So the decisions on those could have been made because Titans is airing right now, which means all that stuff could probably have been taken down already. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the set could have been taken. The the like if you watch Titans, um, like when they hit when they were doing the Wayne Manor stuff and the Batcave stuff, those were sets that had to be built or found or whatever. If they're not using them anymore, the set got taken apart or whatever. There's a chance that you know that can't be, that's not going to be used anymore. They're not going to rebuild it. So James Gunn said that those decisions were made before him. It's sad, but I'm okay with it because we got all this great new stuff coming along down the pipe, and I'm just excited for it. So, Yeah, and, and again, like, just to say it again, like, scarcity does make things special, and, like, we did get some great seasons of Titans, and it's like, I mean, to me, you got to look at, like, shows like The Walking Dead. If The Walking Dead ended after, like, five or six seasons, it would be, like, so well-remembered as, like, one of the greatest zombie things ever, but it's at a point where everybody's going, 
oh, that's still on? I quit watching that so long ago. And there's so much of it that it doesn't feel as special anymore. And so I think you do have to keep that stuff in mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, hey, like I said, we have tons of stuff to discuss. So let's move forward. We'll talk about the list tonight. And then it's all going to be speculation for uh, here moving forward as we learn stuff and get excited about things. So yep. um, you ready to talk about tonight's list? Absolutely. Perfect. Um, so let's roll the thing. And now for the top five. Peter. So. Okay. <laughs> this was your pick. So why don't you yes. explain to everybody what this was and how difficult it was for you to put it together? Yeah, so <laughs> last week, I actually had a pretty easy time with this one, but last week we did our top five favorite directors, and uh, Peter Jackson made my list. And so while I was putting my list together, of course I was thinking about Lord of the Rings, and that's really what inspired this. Um, I thought, like, it'd be cool to talk about our top five favorite battle scenes from movies. And uh, I did mention this last week, but I did want to specify big battle sort of sequences. I didn't want it to be like a fight between six characters and that's your battle. Like this has to be like a lot of various characters and you have to get into the tactics and uh, the, uh, I guess just like gross amount of destruction and everything like Mm -hmm. that. So that's kind of what I wanted to focus on. Um, Since I did mention Lord of the Rings, one of the things with my list is I think almost all my battles are very uh, fantasy or sci-fi based. <laughs> I have a lot of very unrealistic battles, and I know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really great military movies that didn't make my list. But I think I'm just so drawn to the more ridiculous, imaginative things that that's kind of the direction I went with this one. So, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? You had a tough time with this list, Drew? I don't know if I say I had a tough time with it. It was more of a I, I kept thinking I'm missing stuff or I'm forgetting things. Oh, that is definitely an issue. I feel like, you know, I'm like some good you're stuff Googling, too. you're looking at your own collection, you're like pulling stuff up. You're like, wait, this stuff I'm missing, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what, um, what do you got? How many honorable I've mentions got, do you have? I have two, of course. So, um, I also have two. Sweet. Um, so I guess I got to go first, right? Yeah. All right. So, so my first honorable mention is the end battle of Avengers Endgame. The big one. Great scene. Yeah. After, everyone, awesome after scene. everyone's coming out of the portals and all that stuff. The reason this makes an honorable mention is because, look, we could, we've talked heavily about this battle. It's amazing. But the, um, the move, the, the battle sequence of that, it feels, it's weird to me because, yes, it's emotional and everything, but when I'm just looking at it from a battle perspective, so much, it's like this giant, giant battle that is compartmentalized in these small segments. Because yeah. every character has to have its moment. Um, mm-hmm. And so it takes the big battle and makes it really tiny in these little segments, and then you get the big battle scene, and then it goes back to being tiny again. Um, so as cool as it is, um, most of the enemy characters, you don't know who they are, and um, 
you're just hoping that the good guys don't all die again. And <laughs> um, so it kind of makes yeah. And the movie hasn't been out long enough for it to sit with me the way some of these other ones have. So um, just in terms of, like, sitting with the movie for sitting with the uh, um, the concept of the battle, like, it hasn't I haven't I haven't grown with it the way I have with some of these other ones. So, OK, fair enough. Um, we did get that uh, Avengers assemble moment um, spouted off by uh, Captain America. And that was yeah. just so such a cool end of like that. That was such a great phase ending moment. That was just awesome. Uh, one of my other favorite moments is, um, when, uh, it's like kind of mid battle when, uh, uh, Captain Marvel finally shows up and she just like kicks so much ass. And like, I thought that moment was like really awesome too. So that's just a great, great scene and, uh, an awesome shout right there. So, um, I could go into my next, my first honorable mention. Um, this one, it, I don't know, I kept coming back to this pick, and I don't know that it's anywhere near the best, but it's just from a franchise that's so beloved to me that I had to pick it, but I went with the uh, Battle of Hogwarts from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Um, the Battle of Hogwarts is a really cool moment where you have the Death Eaters who are trying to invade the uh, Hogwarts school and you have all of the good guys. Um, You have students, teachers, some of the parents like the Weasley family is there and stuff. And they're all trying to fight off Voldemort and all the death eaters. And uh, it's such a cool sequence. And one of my favorite aspects of this, besides the culmination of all your favorite characters, finally coming back into the fold and uh, fighting this last great fight, One of my favorite aspects of this is how the school of Hogwarts itself is like one of the characters in a sense, like how the they set spells to animate all of the statues within the school and the statues are fighting off Death Eaters. And there's a lot of cool things they do like that that aren't necessarily always taken advantage of in like fantasy movies like that. So I always thought that was really cool. I don't think this is one of the more brutal or serious sort of battles but it is a really good time so it had me had to make my list if that makes sense right on all right so my next one is pirates of the caribbean at world's end the big ship battle oh man (laughs) The, the reason this makes an honorable mention is just like avengers endgame the battle is very compartmentalized where it's a oh, I gotcha. battle, but there's really only like two ships and you're really only focusing on a couple characters. So it's a really cool battle sequence over the, bo- over the, uh, the, uh, whirlpool is trying to sink everything. And, mm-hmm. um, ultimately it's like this massive battle or it forms out to be like you have this giant armada of ships against this giant armada of ships and it's two ships that really do the fighting. Um, and then they get to blow up the uh, the soldier ship at the end, um, which is kind of cool. But as cool as it started out, and that's the only reason this makes an honorable mention is because it's a really cool sequence, but it ended up being a lot smaller than I think it should have been. So I gotcha. Yeah. This is a movie that I need to give a rewatch because uh, this scene, you're right. Like there's so much cool stuff going on and like the two ships fighting each other and the giant whirlpool is so great. But I remember watching this the first time and, uh, the whole part with, uh, Davy Jones, um, 
marrying uh, Will Turner and Elizabeth Swan in the midst of that battle. <laughs> At the time when I saw the movie, I was like, that's it. This is just way too over the top, way too ridiculous. I can't take this seriously. And I kind of want to give it a re- rewatch because since then I've actually embraced the sort of over-the-top campy stuff in movies, but at the time it just rubbed me the wrong way. But uh, it is, besides that specific sequence, there are a lot of cool things in this battle, so I can definitely see how it made an honorable mention for you. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that's all I got on that one. Just Yeah, you should check it out. I actually really, really enjoyed Pirates 3. Like, I felt Pirates 2... Pirates 2 was doing a really nice job of setting stuff up for the table of where we're going. It was basically kind of setting the chessboard, if you will. It just, in my opinion, moved kind of slow. Pirates 3, I thought, was just fantastic. So, anyway. <laughs> And I, I feel the, the opposite way, but that's a discussion for another day. Yeah. The pirate movies are really great, um, and the idiosyncrasies to talk about with those movies is great, too. But, uh, uh, yeah, I can move on to my next pick, which is uh, definitely a cheat, because I went with the Battle of Thermopylae from the movie 300. Um this is a cheat because it's almost the entire movie is specifically this battle. So uh, I just picked this because you have Zack Snyder's directing, you have like so much cool imagery. And uh, I think this is one of the first movies um, like this, as well as like Ang Lee's Hulk. Like, I feel like those are two of the first movies that really did such a good job with that sort of comic, like direct comic to page adaptation. I feel like Sin City's in there in the same era as well. But um yeah, there's so many just comic booky, just like really dramatic scenes. Like there's so many cool slow motion fight scenes. I loved the uh tactics that were brought into it, like the whole um, you know, we have to get the uh enemy army within like this thin corridor between two uh, cliffs because that's going to be the way we can fight them off and uh, you know using the dead soldiers from the enemy's uh, troops to stack up as a huge wall that we're then again going to push over on more enemy troops and attack them and there's some really cool tactics in there too but like I said this is like pretty much the entire movie so it had to make an honorable mention yeah. in my opinion so <laughs> well it's funny that you say that because my first one of the night was Battle of Thermopylae Oh, awesome. My first actual pick. So I'm so, I was actually wondering if we were matched, but then I was like, we're probably not going to match on half of this stuff because <laughs> I'm going to pick a mo- military movie here and there, and Peter's going to – you know what I mean, so who knows. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Battle of Thermopylae, um, I was with you on that. I wasn't even thinking about it being – I wasn't even thinking about it being, like, the whole film because right. there's these great moments where you have this massive military, like, swell, and it's this crazy big battle, and then – dies down a little bit because they're going to give you some exposition and then it's big battle again. And, um, it's, but I it's think you might be right. It, it might actually only be like a third giant. of the film, you know? Yeah. And it's essentially all just one giant battle, but yeah. Right I, on. But yeah, so I don't really have anything more to add to it other than that, but cause you kind of talked through it, like what it was, but, but yeah, yeah. 300, check it out. It's yeah. So awesome. Yeah. All right. So what's your actual first pick of the night then? Right, so I went with the uh, final battle scene at the end of uh, Army of Darkness. <laughs> so this is a very, very zany, crazy battle sequence, but this has, like, you know, you have... This uh, is an awesome, it is an awesome fantasy battle sequence. <laughs> yeah, and you have, like, 
Sam Raimi did the Evil Dead trilogy, and he did, like, the first Evil Dead movie where he was trying to go with, like, just a serious, terrifying horror film. And then he went into Evil Dead 2, where he totally changed the vibe to, like, this crazy, gory, off-the-wall slapstick comedy movie. And he continued that vibe into Army of Darkness. And uh, the final battle scene, I feel like, is such a good sort of bookend to that whole series where you have this, uh, you know, this army of evil skeletons fighting, uh, you know, all the people within the castle. And it's such a cool castle storming moment. Um, the army of skeletons that they're fighting is like a direct sort of uh, reference to uh, the classic Jason and the Argonauts movie that had the, uh, you know, the classic Ray Harryhausen special effects that yeah. are just so famous and stuff. And then you have like, you have Bruce Campbell as Ash Williams fighting an evil, you know, the, the, the commander of the army of darkness, you know, the evil character they're fighting is also played by Bruce Campbell. And you have those great, like Bruce versus Bruce moments. And uh, it's such a good mix of cool, like tactical stuff, but also hilarious slapstick humor. Um, awesome like 80s like latex practical effects as well as like some stop motion animation and puppetry mixed in and it's just like such a fun funny romp that's also just filled with so many cool special effects like it's just a really really great time you know i'm always down to watch this so yeah right on um all right i'm gonna go with a military movie and get it out of the way um and that's the (laughs) and that's the this is what i it's just I was probably going to talk about this one first, but you brought up the uh, 300 early. So, oh, I gotcha. Um, this is the only, this almost made an honorable mention for me, but I was, it's an issue of the filmmaking and how epic this is. And it's the Normandy landing scene from Saving Private Ryan. It's literally, oh, the op- it's literally the opening of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's how it's shot, it's the intensity, it's the camera work, it's the acting, it's the special effects. I mean, this is just, this is one hell of a battle sequence that really needs to be discussed and shine and all that stuff. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, if, if the you movie, want to talk- And the movie kind of speaks for itself. Like, I don't have to talk anymore about it, how amazing it is. So, yeah. yeah. It's just one of those things, if you want to talk about a sequence that... Um, it just shows the shows off like the atrocities of war and like how ugly and brutal it can be. But it's also like such a captivating sequence and there's a lot of gore and the way it's shot, it makes you feel like you're actually there. And uh, this one is brilliant. This almost made my list. Um, And I think when I was putting my list together, I chose a lot of scenes that I have a lot of fun with, as opposed to like a lot of the more brutal real scenes but this one is such a good call um military movies are definitely a blind spot for me like there's a lot of them that i haven't seen but this one is definitely like such a great call so yeah yeah, yeah. well what's your next one for the night then yeah um so i went with uh ready player one the big battle at the end of the movie <laughs> i guess it's considered the battle of castle anorak um, you know that totally sucks because i forgot about that that being a giant <laughs> battle sequence. Yeah. That's what you're laughing about. <laughs> yeah. 
That's awesome. This one I just had to go with. It is ridiculous. It's so cool. Um, you have like the Iron Giant fighting Mecha Godzilla. You have Gundams flying in, kicking ass. You have so many characters, and it's all, you know, built around the climax of this really cool story that you've you've been watching. Uh, meanwhile, you have like the real characters and all of their um, crazy plights in the real world, while there's like the craziest battle scene ever going on in the Oasis. And it's just, it's such, so cool. So classic. We got so much awesome imagery that you'd never see possible. You know, like I never thought I'd see a battle sequence and see a short clip of, uh, you know, spawn all decked out, you know, with guns and like so many, so much ammo strapped to him as he's like running into battle. So, uh, this is, this is a a great one. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one, Drew. I know you are a big fan of uh, ready player one. I know I'm really trying to decide if I change my list as a rare opportunity (laughs) and put it in there or do I just roll what I got? I gotcha. <laughs> uh, no, I'll I'll leave my list as is. I absolutely love this, and there's so many like it's yes, they're trying to get some exposition out, some end of the film exposition out because there's still like there's still a race against time, if you will. Um, but yeah, so the big battle. I mean, it's just it's the Easter eggs in it, and it's the yeah. it's the moments where like here comes. You know, you're you're looking, you're watching the Spartans running alongside Batgirl and He-Man as they're charging into battle, um, and then the Gundam shows up and Mechagodzilla, and then Chucky shows up uh, from Child's Play. <laughs> I forgot. You know, like yeah, <laughs> it's just great stuff in terms of how big that battle got, and it's not something you thought about when you were watching the movie or reading the book, but then it happens, and you're just like, oh man. Um, great, great poll. I'm just kind of mad at myself for forgetting it. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> yeah. All right. So my next one, um, I'm going with, uh, one more military movie and that is the movie is titled Gettysburg. Um, which oh, is, yeah, okay. is a civil war movie based on the battle of Gettysburg. Now, if you've seen the movie, there is multiple parts to the battle as a whole. Um, so and because of the age of the movie, it was on, like, a two-DVD thing. So, like, you watch the first DVD, which is the first part of it, and then, well, obviously the first part, but it's the first part of the historical battle, and then so on. Um, at the end of the first part, you see the Battle of Little Big Little Round Top, and it is such an intense... I mean, it's Civil War, so it's just, it's a history film, but it is such an intense battle sequence. And I think it doesn't, I think that movie doesn't get its due in terms of, um, importance in the world of history films. Like when you talk about Civil War, I feel like a lot of people just jump right to glory, which is a great movie, but I think Gettysburg kind of gets overlooked. Um, mm. but you have, it's basically a little round top. The Union Army is designed this plan to use the hill as a, and line up the troops and it's a really cool maneuver where they know the Confederates are going to be charging up the hill from this specific direction. They've learned this. So what they're going to do is they're going to line up the troops on an opposite side. And then as the Confederates move, the troops are going to run down the hill in a sweeping pattern, like a giant swing, and come up behind them in this flanking pincher move. So they're literally going to have the guys running down the hill the opposite from the opposite side but they're going to curve and swing upwards and come up behind him. And it's such a cool, like, 
fast-paced, action, intense moment. Um, it's probably my favorite part of the movie, uh, the way that all plays out, um, because they're, like, waiting for the orders, and they're, like, it's it's super intense. I love it. Um, but And it's one I haven't watched in a long time, but that's my pick for this, so... Yeah, that's that's awesome. It's been so long since I've seen this movie, but uh, this is a great call. And I feel like uh, Gettysburg is one of those uh, it's one of those movies that I think really showcases how brutal like the Civil War was when you actually research the uh, history of it and all that. But I also love that uh, this pick does mention like some of the tactics used and stuff, because that's kind of uh, some of the nerdy stuff I wanted to uh, talk about here. And uh, just talking about this movie, it's kind of making me think, I think we're due for another like really good Civil War film. I feel like I haven't seen like a big Civil War film come out for a really long time, to be honest. So, yeah, and I don't know. I don't see. Well, Christian Bale did a Civil War film last year. Um, oh, fair but, enough. I just, but it wasn't I like it. <laughs> it wasn't in the same vein that you know we would necessarily think about. Um, it wasn't necessarily like a war film. It was just like it took place during the Civil War. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's a way of looking at it. Yeah. So, anyway. cool. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I can move into my next one, uh, which is the Battle of New York from the Avengers, the first Avengers movie. Um, this is just such an awesome sequence. Um, I just remember seeing this movie when I first saw it in theaters and uh, just being so drawn into when this came out. It was one of the best comic to page adaptations in the sense that while you're watching the sequence, you felt like you were reading a comic. Like there's especially a, I don't know if they call it, but it's a really long shot in the middle of the, the battle where you, you go up to each character. So you see Iron Man flying through the sky and, uh, knocking out a couple Chitari and then you zoom in on uh Thor and Hulk are on top of one of the Chitari <laughs> ships and they're like, you know, Hulk's like breaking the ship apart while Thor's fighting some other Chitari and then you zoom in on Hawkeye and he's shooting people out of the sky and it's like this long sweeping shot where you show each character's individual moment. You also have that classic, I mean it's been shown time and time again, but that classic shot that's the circular, the circular shot around all the Avengers as they gear up and they're all looking up at the sky and they're just ready to go kick, kick some ass. But, uh, this sequence, when this movie came out, like I had so much fun with this movie. Um, I know like this came out a long time ago and the MCU has done so many like awesome things since, but, in my heart, like, I always go back to the first Avengers movie and how much fun I had the first time I saw this in theaters. And uh, I don't know, this one just had to make my list. Like, it's it's such a cool, um, such a cool battle sequence. So I don't I don't know too much else to say about it. I mean, I feel like this movie and this scene in general has been talked uh, to death over the Internet. But, uh, Drew, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one at all. Podcast, um, <laughs> right on. <laughs> of that sequence, this this movie, this battle crossed my attention when I was putting this together. But I also, based on the rules you set forth, I didn't think it counted because of how many characters were in it. So, And that's, and that's why Avengers Endgame made my honorable mention as opposed to... <laughs> 
And, you know, and, and Endgame was also, like, I wanted to do at least one superhero movie, and it was, like, either this or Endgame for me. Um, and I know, like I said, like, we got to do, like, a battle scene with at least, like, ten people on each side fighting each other. But when you think of uh, the Battle of New York, you have the Avengers, which is, like, a six-character team. But then you also, thinking about just random, like, law enforcement and stuff, I was like, that's my way to cheat. Like, you know, there's a couple shots. <laughs> there are a couple of cops, mm. like, shooting guns in the midst of it. So that's a way to cheat and make it count. I know this one is kind of skirting the line with the rules that I put, but I mm. feel like it also counts as a battle sequence, so I included it on my list. So, yeah. Um all right. Well, I guess my next one is Lord of the Rings, the Battle of Helm's Deep. Oh, uh, nice. I was thinking about I was teetering between this one and the Battle of Ministerius at the end of Return of the King. Yeah. But what made me pick this one is Ministerius has it it reminded me a lot of 300 in the sense that it there were parts so you'd have a big action sequence right. with armies, and this is in Battle of Minas Theris. You'd have these big sequences, and then it would calm down a minute, you'd have these quiet character moments, and then it would jump to the next big sequence. It was almost like it was systematically, it's, each part of the battle was happening systematically, where when I was watching, when you watch the Battle of Helm's Deep, it is, once those orcs show up and the battle begins, it is intense, it is nonstop, it mm-hmm. is like... And it just gets bigger, and it feels like it gets bigger and bigger as it goes, and the intensity doesn't really quit. And then you're still waiting for Gandalf to come ride over the, you know, you're you're waiting, you're like, don't forget to look to the east or whatever he says, or look to the north or whatever, and they're waiting for the sun. So the sun comes cresting, and here comes Gandalf, and come, you know what I mean? Like, it's so many pieces to it, but it's never really stopped, and you never really had the quiet character moments. The battle is just the battle. Um... And it's probably it's probably my favorite battle from the Lord of the Rings movies is Helm's Deep. Um, so yeah, that's, that's I, that. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, a lot of really good points and like a really good call. Um, this is a battle that when uh, looking online and stuff at like various like best battles from cinema. The Battle of Helm's Deep from uh, the Two Towers, like, topped so many lists. And uh, it's kind of funny because I actually, my next pick was actually the Battle of uh, Minas Tirith from uh, oh, Return right. of the King. So, <laughs> and uh, this is one where I love the Battle of Helm's Deep. And I think it, cinematography, it might be more sophisticated and stuff than uh, the Battle of Minas Tirith. But to me, like, that big battle in uh, Return of the King, I just, in my mind, I go back to it so much, and there's so many great parts, and I love the tactics of it. I love the orc army encroaching on the castle, and uh, their giant cattle catapults, like, shooting stuff at the castle, and I love the uh, the tactics in it. I love that it's, like, it seems like it's down to the wire at the very end, and all hope is lost, and uh, then you have... Uh, Aragorn, like, coming in with the uh, ghost army to help yep. finish off all the orcs, and uh, you know, you have the whole sequence with uh, Gimli and Legolas with their sort of competition of, like, who can kill more enemies, <laughs> and it has that hilarious 
definitely over the top, but just awesome sequence with uh, Legolas taking down one of the Oliphants with uh, all of the characters on top of it. And uh, even like when it comes to the stuff going in, going on inside of the castle with uh, kind of the political stuff that goes on in that whole sequence, like it's such a big chunk of the movie, but it is such a, I remember just being on the edge of my seat while I was watching it. And this was a battle that when I came up with this list idea, this is the first battle that I thought of. And I, I do, I just love this sequence so much. And uh, yeah, it's, I understand why a lot of people go with Helm's Deep for the number one battle from the series. But for me, it was always this one. And I, I'm not, sure why that is completely but i just always loved this one so sure um all right so i guess i yeah ministerious yeah so i kind of already explained my thing with ministerious so um yeah. I guess moving on my final pick of the night and that is and there's no way i couldn't discuss this um and this is the battle of hoth from star wars the empire strikes back <laughs> awesome um <laughs> It wasn't, a good sequence. Did, it wasn't that I didn't want to have a Star Wars movie in here. I felt I had to have a Star Wars movie on my list. But when I started thinking about big epic battles, this is probably my favorite Star Wars battle. Um, it's exciting. It's big. It's got the walkers. It's got the speeders. They're running around. They're like, it's just, it's just awesome in every mm-hmm. way possible. And being the big Star Wars fan that I am and talking a lot about Star Wars, I don't know if I really need to really dive into how amazing this battle is. And I know the special effects, you can tell, if you know how movies are made, you can tell that the walkers are stop motion. But it's just cool. You can. I, I was, I was going to go the opposite way and say the special effects actually have held up a lot better than you'd think, though. Like, oh, I think I think the special effects definitely have held up way better. Yeah. It's like, I think, I think I, a person, if you were to show someone the movie today, I don't know, I feel like they would still want to watch, like, when they're just looking at special effects alone, I don't think they'd appreciate them the way we do. Um, Fair enough. You know, and I just, I, I guess I'm specifically referring to the Gen Z kids. Um, yeah. They're not going to look at it the same way we do, but it's just, it's just such an awesome, awesome battle. It's my favorite of all of them. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite sequences. So like when it's on, if, if it's on TV, I'm like always hoping I'm switching it on for the Battle of Hoth. Um, yeah. But yeah. Well, you know, I, sorry. The oh, keep the walkers. Like, I don't really know what else to say about it. It's just great. So. Yeah, it's just, it's just hard to say, but I feel like um, from a design sense, like the snow speeders look so cool, and uh, it's just like the way everything was presented. Just I think, I mean, I wasn't there to see it in theaters, but I imagine it probably felt so fresh and cool, you know. And I think I feel like in a weird way, I don't think we had ever gotten like a ice planet battle scene like that in just in sci-fi before. So that's, I mean, probably in literature and comics and stuff, but not on the big screen. And I think that's really awesome too. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. I yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Should right. I move into my final yeah, one? <laughs> whatever. What's your last one? So I had to laugh because for my last one, I actually went with, uh, the Battle of Endor from Return of the Jedi. <laughs> so uh, wow. kind of in a weird way and similar to our Lord of the Rings conundrum where we both went with, uh, you know, the second and third movies. But 
I had to pick the Battle of Endor because one thing, and Drew, I think you pointed this out to me when we were kids, but I remember watching Return of the Jedi once and you telling me about how you're like, yeah, this this part's so great because there's three battles going on at once. You have the stuff on the ground of Endor where you have the Ewoks versus the Stormtroopers, and then you have the uh, Death Star 2 battle and, like, all that awesomeness. And then you have, like, Luke and Vader's final showdown going on at the same time. And I know we're talking about battles, so, like, maybe that specific part doesn't count because it's a uh, fight scene between two characters. But you know what I mean? There's just mm-hmm. multiple levels and the way it's all edited together and the tension just builds through the whole thing. And I think there's like a really cool balance of how you have Luke and Vader in this really serious, really intense, but intimate lightsaber battle. And then you have the space battle that's just, awesome like i feel like star wars always did a great job with its space battle sequences as far as like ilm using practical effects using models and kit bashing and stuff like that to present something that looks believable in a way that science fiction movies had never done before but i feel like when you get to the return of the jedi like some of the shots they were able to pull off and some of those space dogfight sequences were just like so i think they're just jaw dropping like when you pause the movie like at certain points like there's just so many cool parts of that battle but then you have that all balanced like all that seriousness is kind of balanced with the goofy at times but really fun ewok battle on endor and i just love how it all fits together and i know they did a a really similar thing in uh episode one for example with the battle of naboo where you kind of have the same sort of you have like the jedi lightsaber fight the space battle and then the gungans versus the battle droids and it's kind of don't forget the queen battle with the droids in the castle she had the inside the castle outside the castle the jedi battle and the space battle all at once okay that's that's fair i always considered the queen yeah i think that's okay that's fair i i didn't always to me it was four battles total okay i i didn't always delineate the queen battle from the gungan battle but i can definitely concede that point so i think that's uh really interesting too but i feel like in episode one they did take a page out of their own book but i just love it and you don't always see that in movies where there's like that sort of tiered multi-layered battle going on but this was another one that uh i thought of right away and it's just one of the classics and one of the greatest battle scenes of all time in my opinion so there you go and you have worded it so beautifully in terms of like oh, special <laughs> effects and the shots and stuff because there is there's one shot in the space sequence that I just love and it's the shot where you have it's an X-Wing and A-Wing, the Falcon and I think one other ship are like cruising along the surface of the death, of the second Death Star coming towards the camera because they're about to enter the Death Star and yeah. that, like, exhaust vent or whatever it is, they, like, enter it through. But they're, like, weaving around the construction piping or whatever, or the things sticking off the Death Star. They're weaving around it, and they come, they're come. they coming towards the camera, and then the camera cuts, and they do that flip and go in. It's one of my all-time favorite shots of them coming at the camera. Um, 
So I'm totally with you. It's just jaw-dropping, and that's stuff that you don't get today. So, yep, absolutely. You don't, get, you don't get much space stuff today, but hey, whatever. All right, <laughs> that brings us to the end of this week's list. So next week, I yes. was cruising through our list of lists, and I actually have a couple lists lined up that I just thought would be really fun, and I decided to push the one I really wanted to do. I decided to push back just a little bit, but next week, we're going to talk about, and I'm surprised we've never discussed this, our favorite, our five favorite book adaptations. Okay. So, not comic books. It has to be, yeah. it has to be a movie based off of a novel, and there's a ton of them. But, what are our five favorites? Um, okay, nice. So I thought that'd be kind of cool. We've never discussed this before. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I have a few that come up off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, I have some of those are things we've talked about a ton. <laughs> so, yeah, I have. So. <laughs> but this will be kind of cool to discuss difference between book and novel. I think a little bit. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think that'll make a. I think that'll make a difference. And I and I'd like to stick to film as opposed to books adapting into television. Um, yeah. Okay. Because like otherwise. Game of Thrones is going to, like, make my list. You know what I mean? So trying to <laughs> – I'd, I'd prefer it to be movie as opposed to TV. So mm-hmm. Nice. Um, but, yeah. So um, that kind of brings us to the end of the episode, everybody. Um, look, we have a ton of DC stuff coming, and it's going to be awesome. And I can't wait to, like, really dive in as more and more stuff comes out of this. So for right now, do us all a favor, check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there, hit us up on our social media, either way it works. We are on Google Play, iHeartRadio, um, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, Audible. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review we love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I will be explaining how we all know the true best battle in film history is the one between the Toros and the Clovers in the 2000 teen comedy Bring It On. <laughs> Man, I forgot that one tonight. All right. All right, everybody. For the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.